0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you.
1: Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly.
0: Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's a special recording live in the studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It's May 25th, 2022. And our, our good friend M. Souter, she wrote another beer book and uh, way back in 2018, her first illustrated beer book, uh, we didn't get to interview her with. But uh, now we're here with Hooray, Hooray for Craft Beer with M. Souter and uh, James Ty and Advanced Cicerone. So we got a great little show here. Let's just have everyone give a, a a brief little intro. Em?
2: Yeah, sure. Hey, Jimmy. Uh, I'm M. Sauter. I'm the founder and cartoonist behind Pints and Panels. I'm also an advanced oh. Cicerone. Uh, I work on b- visual beer education. So Pints and Panels focuses on teaching people about beer through cartooning, which is lots of fun. I've been doing that since 2010. Uh, what else? Oh, jeez. i uh, also an international beer judge. Uh, I do public speaking at libraries and stuff, beer tastings, work part-time at Fox Farm in Salem, Connecticut. I mean, that's uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm everywhere all the time. Well, you brought us
0: back to the studio, so so thanks so much. No problem. M said, I, I want to be on Beer Sessions Radio, talk mm-hmm. about my new book, but I want to go in person
2: to mm-hmm. Roberta's. Yep.
0: And then James?
3: Yeah, uh, James Tai, principal beer acolyte, uh, doing education and training for bars, restaurants, breweries um just that random guy you'll see at the bar that's pretty much it <laughs> and yeah.
0: I mean, you've been on the show many times james so i was like i wanted to come in person i said you know what i gotta have a good good chance to get james back into the studio too
3: big pints and panels fan so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Thank so you.
0: let's talk about this so you know if you see it on instagram you know pints and panels if you're a beer geek um but what i love about it is that you talk about serious things but it's a cartoon And, you know, there's a style and and it shows some of the ingredients. Let's let's go way back with you. How would you get involved in beer and how would you become a cartoonist? Because this is this is the M Sauter story
2: today. Oh, all right. Uh, So I went to the Center for Cartoon Studies in White River Junction, Vermont, which is a real school where you can get an MFA in cartooning. So I have my master's in fine arts in cartooning. I graduated there in 2011, and that's where I started Pints and Panels. Pints and Panels was A drawing exercise I did in 2010 started in May of 2010, so almost so 12 years uh, ago. It was named by uh, ex-boyfriend. He named it Pints and Panels. (laughs) We were. I came home. I was like, I want to review beer and do a beer website. What should I call it? And he goes, Oh, you're gonna call it Pints and Panels. Like, love it. And I was like, Holy crap, that's the best (laughs) name ever. Uh, And him and I are still friends. So I'm always like, Thank you, Ryland. Like, that's a great. I always give him credit for coming up with that. So it was first a beer review website. I would go to the bar, buy stuff, try it. It would give a star rating. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was talking about. But it was a great way to draw about beer, work on beer, work on cartooning myself, and also try beer and learn more. And so it was a beer review website for about eight years or so. And then in 2019, so nine years, I switched to visual beer education, focusing on styles, hops raw materials, brewing process. Um, I was studying for the Master Cicerone exam, so drawing comics about it and drawing the syllabus I thought would help me. But then I was like, well, that's selfish. I shouldn't just hold it for myself. I should hold it for, you know, give it f- to, to everyone. So I posted it on Pints and Panels for free. So if you're studying for levels one, two, or so, yeah, certified beer server, certified, advanced, or master, there's free content on my website so you can learn about beer. Um, and that's important. I want to make sure that beer education is accessible because it can be expensive. So.
0: No, it's really great. I mean, James, you know, you're, you, you've taken those tests and you're an established Cicerone dude. I'm a
3: grizzled veteran <laughs> you know, when it comes to that. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, what do you think about this visual presentation of a beer syllabus?
3: Yeah, I think it's really fantastic. It's a Thank great you. medium. Um, I think that the thing about Ammoner work is that there, it is very content rich. But it's presented in a very accessible way, so you know it, anybody at any level that really wants them to learn more about beer um, can really use it, it's it's a fa- it's a fabulous resource for that.
2: Thank you, yeah. thank no, you. That's great. I was actually just at Cash and Carry in Murray Hill drinking chilling pilsner as you do, and the bartender behind the bar, this guy Tim, was like, oh, "I'm studying for my certified. Uh, do you have any resources?" And I was like, "Actually, <laughs> as a matter of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I did, And he was so jazzed to learn about pints because he had never heard about it before learning about pints and panels, learning about the content. Uh, he was so excited. It was really, it made me feel very good inside. So
0: yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think that, you know, if you're just reading the syllabus just to see it the way you lay it out, it's great. So, so way back when your first beer job, let's, let's catch everybody.
2: Oh, my first beer job ever was the beverage King in West Lebanon, New Hampshire. I worked, uh, I sold cigarettes, To and uh, single to underage people, no, no, no. no. no we no, were good no, no, about no. we were very good about carting and uh, singles of Budweiser that people from the cement factory next door could drink in the parking lot uh, before they went home. That's what I sold, but we also had a really, really great selection of we got. I remember when we got Firestone Walker into New Hampshire because when uh, living in White River Junction where I lived is right on the border with New Hampshire, so we just would cross the border very easily. And I remember when I got Firestone Walker, my boss was like, "Look, we got Firestone Walker in," and I did this like dance. I was like, "Oh my <laughs> god, we got!" And this is when Double Jack and you were in the like twenty-two ounce bomber bottles. Oh yeah. And I was like, "What? That's amazing!" And I like was like, so jazzed. And my my boss Rich was just like, "It's it's just beer, like cool, cool it." And I was like, "No, this is amazing!" And we sold. I dusted all the Belgian beer that no one bought, but I made sure they looked nice. And we sold a ton of Dogfish Head, a ton of Lagunitas. There wasn't a lot of local. Uh, we sold a lot of Harpoon because we were about 20 minutes from Windsor. Uh, we had what was it? There's a, or a Woodstock Inn, the like pigs. Bl- do you remember that, James? I do, that yeah, like those yeah. t- the 12 packs. It's New Hampshire and yeah, New Hampshire, okay. Vermont beers. Yeah, um, the selection was. You know, we mostly sold 30 packs of Jenny Cream Ale because that was the cheapest 30 rack you could buy. But it was a really great intro, like, intro into beer. We sold a lot of keg beer. We sold a lot of, like, you know, localish bigger big or big regional stuff. Because this is around the time when craft, craft beer is really starting to take off and the bigger regionals, like the Lagunitas and the Dogfish Head, are kind of running it. Or, like, I don't even think we had Dale's Pale or Oscar Blues at that time. It was just, like... We drank so much Dogfish Head 90 Minute.
0: When was this? Like 2011.
2: 2011. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I moved to Oregon for a year. Worked at a beer bar in Eugene, Oregon called 16 Tons, and that was a game changer. I mean, the selection we had was insane. You know, we would make the bar at night go down to 50, go down to cellar temp. We had my boss Mike was like, really made sure that the beer was in prime condition all the time. We had 18 drafts. It was. Set like eight people. So it was just regulars, people who came by. Um, that was a really, really great place to just like dive in headfirst because the Oregon beer scene in 2011 is like, you know, there's beer everywhere. There's beer in bakeries. There's beer in like auto mechanics. There's beer everywhere in Oregon. And I was so blown away by the Oregon scene. Um, but after a year, I was like, the Pacific time zone stinks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Football starts at 10 in the morning. Like, what is this? I just... I didn't... I'm not a huge fan of, of that. I mean, that was really the only thing. You know, I was wearing that, a
0: Boston Red Sox. I know. Side.
2: I'm a huge... Like, my Red Sox would play at, like, 4 in the afternoon, and then I'd... Or, like, my... I'm a New York Giants fan, too. I'm one of those weird Connecticut people. So the Giants are on at 10 a.m., and I work till midnight. The bar's open till midnight. I don't get home till, like, one thirty. So I'd miss, like, the first half of the... Of all the and they never showed any of the New York Times games because it's you know they don't care about football. It's out a there. different country. Out there. Yeah, it's yeah. a whole, and they don't have white cheddar; they only have orange cheddar. <laughs> what kind of place is this? I gotta leave. I gotta go back to New England. So after that, I worked at Two Roads for five and a half years doing their communication strategies. So and then in 2018, I left to study for the Master Cicerone exam full time, and then at that point, I started working at Fox Farm.
0: At what, so, what point did you did you? Realize that, that the Cicerone yeah. program was good for your career.
2: I mean, I've I've always been a huge... So I got my level one in 2011. When I learned about the Cicerone program, I was blown away because it had, it was new. Uh, Andrew Van who's the first Master Cicerone ever, came into my the bar in Eugene. And I rec- I was like, you're Andrew Van Til, you're a Master <laughs> Cicerone. And he was like, who the hell are you? How do you know who I am? Um, and we got to talk about beer. He was a super, super nice guy. He's since disappeared and no one knows where he, no one knows where he is or what he does. Uh, and he's
0: going to be our next guest Yeah, in Andrew five Van Til, yeah. where are you? Really? Oh
2: my gosh, hello. Um, rumor is he's out in the Bay Area. I don't know. Do you know where That's, he is I don't,
3: I have no clue.
2: He's, you know, I went yeah. to the 10 year anniversary party for Cicerone and Ray Daniels was like, where is Andrew? Where did he go? He passed the exam. I was really proud of him, and then he just, he worked for Imperial Beverage in Michigan for a little while, then disappeared, but, um, you know, taking the, it was a challenge, and I love to learn, and taking the certified, and then taking the advanced, um, I mean, the advanced is really hard. I really didn't think when I took the advanced that I passed. Um, I took it in Chicago, and then after it was done, I I felt like I had been hit by a truck, and went to Beguile Brewing across the street by myself, and (laughs) stared at this beer, and was like, Oh my gosh, what was that? You know, it's really tough. The you know, it's a mixture of, of short answer, uh, multiple choice, essays, tasting. I mean, it's, it's it really hits you over the head, and I was very lucky that I did well in the tasting portion, and then that helped me get. I mean, I barely passed the advance. I can admit that. I got you need an eighty to pass. I got an eighty, so. Um, it's a really tough exam. So when I meet other advanced Cicerones like James or anyone else, like I'm always just like, you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, de-
0: it's definitely a mark. I mean, I remember it was like maybe like eight or ten years ago, you started realizing that the managers at certain distributors were all now certified Cicerones. Mm-hmm. I think I, at my old place, Jimmy's number 43, a long time ago, Sam Merritt was hosting just oh, beer yeah. Cicerone beer server courses and, and, and certain you know companies with – chains or liquor stores were coming in and getting their staffs that was way back then yeah the James for you like you know the advanced cicerone it's neat to talk about it because i remember there was like a lot of people were getting certified and then there was the masters which was like you couldn't get mm-hmm. but advanced it really represents a certain amount of study and, and expertise um, what was the hardest part of that for you james the advanced cicerone
3: uh so from personal experience i would say that I probably didn't prepare myself as well as I should have for the brewing part of it. Um, There's a lot of stuff that I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll just pull from the back of my brain. But then, you know, getting there and and, and seeing the question from me, I I realized, oh, wait, I really should really should have boned up on this subject matter a little bit harder. Um, But, you know, fortunately, I I was able to kind of answer enough uh, to where, you know, I I was able to achieve that status. And you know, here we are.
0: Who's one of the legends of cicerones I'll ask each one of you to tell me someone because right. I have one in mind. But you, you, guys, James, tell me who's a legend in your mind.
3: It it depends on what their expertise is. Mm. You know, if if I'm, if I'm going with beer styles, I might say it's 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 probably a, uh, it's a tie between Max Baker and uh, Gavin Harper. You know, when they when they were at the top of their game, they they were really on top of their styles.
0: Huh. What about you?
2: I mean, yeah. it, it's all about Neil Witte. I, uh, I love, someone as a personal I bias. love, I do. I love Neil Witty. If if he, he should come on because no one knows beer keeping. He's also, Neil is a proctor and you've taken the master. Right. He just sits there and smiles at you. Or uh, doesn't smile. Or doesn't smile or just looks at you. <laughs> and he's a really tough grader. I mean, you got to know your stuff. The first year I took it. Uh, 2018, it was uh, changing out a U coupler, which is the Guinness coupler. And I was like, really? The
0: U... Did you have to do it in person or did you have no, to you talk have to, it through?
2: you have to talk it through and do it. Okay. You have to figure out what's wrong with it. And it was the U cu- And I was like, oh, God. The U... And I look at him and I go, really? The U coupler? Come on, man. And he just sits there. He has this clipboard. And he's like, you have 10 minutes. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, he's the nicest, sweetest wonderful drink a beer with him he's a lovely wonderful person at the master (laughs) level when you take when he's the prector he's just smiling looking at you and you're like oh my gosh he's 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 uh, he's a tough master cicerone's a personality he's He's a a tough he's a tough Mm -hmm. cookie but again outside the exam there's no and there's no one that knows draft quality like neil um, yep. I can talk about how much I love Neil Whitty for a very I mean we we, we you know we don't have enough time. Um but I let yeah. me just say
0: that um but being back here in the studio at Roberta's thanks to M Souter for asking for it. I get to drink the Innerboro slash Roberta's the the custom house lager that is really great on a nice late spring afternoon out here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So wow massive Cicerones, advanced Cicerones, I mean it. So I can go to Pints and Panels and start getting my beer education, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. Yeah.
2: So if you wanted, if you were going to take the certified, um, the level one, the certified beer server, there's a full syllabus that you can get that's free, or you can buy the downloadable PDF if you want it all in one go. There's also the certified uh, level two, or I have the first two sections of the advanced slash master. The advanced and master cicerone syllabi are pretty similar. Um, so I have styles and I have keeping and serving. I'm working on the third one. I don't know if I'll ever finish the fourth and the fifth, but they're there. So again, if you want them for free, great. Look at my website. If not, you want to buy them, throw no, me some, throw me some amazing. loot. So. so here we are.
0: So I met you at two roads and, um, now I get this book. I'm loving it. Hooray for craft beer. Thank you. Um, first of course, you're great cartoonist. I and mean, we asked to talk about that a little bit. There's actually a cartooning MFA, in case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish I knew about that when I was 18.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a couple cartooning schools. There's the Joe Kubert School. That's in New Jersey. Um, that's more like Marvel, DC superhero stuff. The Center for Cartoon Studies, where I went, mostly focuses on like nurturing your inner style so they don't, don't conform to any other styles. Um, and they were... I mean, it was... My class, you know, my professors were Stephen Bissett who created Swamp Thing with Alan Moore in the early '80s. Oh. That dude is, the just like, the best craft beer or craft beer, jeez, comics <laughs> cheerleader, um, in the world. He doesn't drink actually, but um, he wrote the blurb on my back on the, for my first. Water. He drinks, yeah. Swamp he water. drinks, yeah. He's uh, he does not. He's a teetotaler. Um, but he was always really supportive. And when I did Pints and Panels, it was part of my thesis when I graduated. Um, they were really, really supportive. And actually, the co-founder of CCS wrote a blurb for my second, Michelle Ali, and she's just the nicest wow. lady. So. And then when
0: you were younger, w- w- what were some comics that inspired you?
2: When I was 11, um, I discovered Archie Comics, and I loved Archie Comics, even though I didn't really understand how like Archie got both Betty and Veronica, because he's kind of a wimp. <laughs> Um, and they're like way better than he is, but I really liked their misadventures, the like, just what they, you know, it was, and it's also like when you read Archie comics from, this was like early nineties. So like, I'm like 1994, 1993, you would get the digest, but it would also come with all the old timey ones from like the forties, the fifties, the sixties and the vintage stuff. And that was always really fun to see the creation of the characters and how they changed from. And that was really actually quite inspirational. Which which era did you like the most? I really liked um, like 70s, 80s, 70s Archie or like when they have Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Those are really nice. I like Josie and the Pussycats as well. There's a lot of really great strong female characters in Archie. Uh, Betty and Veronica are their own people. Yeah, they kind of like latch on to Archie in a little bit, but they also have their own stories, their own life lives outside of Archie. Um, and I always really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I really liked—I um, did really, really like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And then, in that time period, the TV show on with Melissa Joan Hart came out in like the mid to late '90s, and I was like really obsessed with that um, because I'm a girl. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a girl. In the well, days, let's get—we're going to so we're gonna talk know. about
0: your, James. Pints and panels, I know you're a fan. Yeah. What, what do you think about if, if I like I'm working at a bar, I wanna start studying for the Cicerones. what 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 do I what would I learn from it? Why, why would I check out M's stuff instead of just taking a class or something?
3: Yeah, well the first thing I'll say and just getting back to, you know, M's experience and, and the institute that you it's it shows that, that that's kind of like the ethos of that particular institution because like your style is so distinctive. Um, like you know, when I'll, I'll see, I'll come across something that's beer related. I'll be, oh, that's definitely M's work. Um, and so it, it not only speaks to your individual, it not only speaks to your individuality coming out, but also the success that you have in, in being able to kind of permeate all all corners of beer. You know, but what I will say about the actual content itself, I think M does a really great job of again, you know, she just touched upon that that th- th- it's different tiers. You know, so there'll be a, a quote unquote panel. You know that's a little bit more dedicated to more advanced candidates um, and people that that might be a little bit farther ahead in, in their road uh, to cicerone or or just beer knowledge. And then there's also you know that same that same subject matter will be um, pretty much put in a different way that that's much more introductory and uh, and just really easy to grasp onto. So it's it's a firm foundation on which to build upon. So I, I think it's a great resource.
0: Wow, that's great. So now back yeah, to the book. So it's Hooray for craft beer. And and actually, it was the the Brewers publication Mm -hmm. and the Brewers Association. That was a a
2: dream come true, working with them. I mean, I emailed them in 2020 and was like, hey, you ever interested in doing an illustrated book? And Christy Switzer, who's the publisher, reached out and she said, yeah, let's talk. And I went, what? Like, it was (laughs) such an honor. And it was a great working experience. I mean, they, I put out all the content, I send it to them, and they're like, great, no problem. I mean, they did not really edit the book at all. They were very hands-off. In a very good way. It wasn't like, you know, they were great. And then I had Stan Hieronymus as my technical editor. I also had um, Chris Swarzy, who used to work, who was the head what, of competition. What, what did
0: Stan give you feedback on? His fe- you, did you make mistakes?
2: Oh, of course. Everyone makes mistakes. <laughs> um, he His feedback was normally Christy would just edit the feedback into the book uh, and show you, but not really. But with... My stuff, since it's illustrated, I have to edit it all myself because it's all in Photoshop. And his, sometimes he would just go on this like long rant about something I said about like, well, I don't, I know you mean this, but maybe it should say this. But, you know, in this, because there's, one of the things I say a lot is there are a lot of right answers when it comes to beer. Um, You know, there, you can, an American porter can be brewed 50 different ways and still become an American porter. So you kind of have to balance that with accuracy as well. And I always try to make sure that my work is as accurate as possible. When you Google something like what's the difference between an ale and a lager, most of the things that are going to come up are wrong. (laughs) And that stresses me out a lot because people are Googling and they want to learn about beer. And then what they find out is wrong or inaccurate. And then they perpetuate that further and further. And then it keeps kind of gets, oh, it's awful. Don't like it. And so I wanted to make sure that this book was as accurate as possible and Pines and Panels itself is as accurate as possible. I actually had a really good email. And anytime you see something that's not accurate, I want you people to email me and say, hey, so yesterday I posted a how to change a keg. And the guy was like, hey, you're missing a step. You don't say to pull the tap out before you lift or turn. Like you want to disengage it. And he's like, you need an arrow for that. And I was like, oh, you know what? I thought I had put it in, but I had it. Thank you very much. And I will change that. So I'm always looking for feedback. You know, I'm never going to be like, I'm never going to double down and be like, we don't know what you're talking about. Because that's, that's silly. So here,
0: hooray for craft beer. Okay. So it starts with history, which I love. I mean, every, every beer book seems to cover like the basics of beer, but when you get to history, I love it. It's like 9,000 years ago. (laughs) What was happening? People were... Settling down and had agriculture, right?
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reason. One of the reasons why we have agriculture, they have it for food, but they also wanted it for beer. So, I mean, and they don't even really know if it's nine thousand. It's, you know, no one was around back then writing it down for the most part. So, a lot of it is hearsay, but that's what they think. And I loved. I read Patrick McGovern's Uncorking the Past, and that was a. That's a really great drinks history book because that man is. That man knows if he's gonna. If anyone's gonna talk about beer history, it's gonna be him. You know, he's works for what he works for the University of Pennsylvania. Craig, yeah, yeah he's.
0: That's what I was gonna ask you is what some of the sources that you relied on.
2: Yeah, that was a big one for uh, for history. Tasting Beer by Randy Mosier is my just go-to. I love that book. I think that book is if you're gonna read one beer book, Tasting Beer, especially the second edition, that's the one. Um, I also have the second edition of The Beer Bible by Jeff Allworth because Jeff is very thorough, uh, just a stand-up guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, love that man to death. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I read. There's a um, a fair amount. There is a bibliography, so I was proud of myself with that. Um, How to Brew by John Palmer is a good just reference. I mean, that is a homebrew book, but if you're gonna wanting to learn about brewing in general, I mean, that book is dense, but is, I mean, it's the best, you know, it's, this is like
0: all the, all the little really expert knowledge that's out there for when you're studying for like advanced Cicerone, you kind of took the best bits and pieces. Yeah. I was in your book.
2: That's what I, yeah, I tried to take the, yeah, the greatest hits and read, you know, about beer and distill it into an introductory beer 102 type book for people who love beer. Um, people who are studying that this is a really good book for you know level one level two uh, certified certified beer server um, or BJCP learning about I use a I use the BJCP st- style guide a lot um, I know it differs from the brewers associations this would be a conversation that we had where they call beer styles different things the brewers association versus the BJCP and I kind of was like can we use the BJCP and they were like yeah sure okay no big deal you know cuz like that's what people call the beer so yeah it was i mean it was they were very hands off they had great suggestions and it was a lot of it was a really really fun book to do it took about 8 months or so and it was but that's a good
0: yeah. good point James do you know why are the BJCP style guidelines different from the Brewers Association guidelines does BJCP lead
3: you know, we actually had, I don't know if you remember, we had this conversation with Chris Swersey yeah. a couple of years ago, <laughs> you know, and when we did something very similar to, to where we are today. Um, I don't remember what the, uh, what the answer was with Chris, but I, I, I did ask whether at some point there was going to be a more uh, conscientious effort to kind of align the two. I mean, it's kind of starting to find a little bit of that. Um, I, I think it's just an organic thing, to be honest with you. I don't know if M. You have any thoughts on that? Well,
2: the Brewers Association guidelines are also edited yearly, whereas the Brewers Association guidelines are edited usually every four years or so, five, I think six actually was the last, because it was 2015, now it's 2021. And the Brewers Association also does like, I had a conversation with someone at the BA a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, about their Brewers Association. Yeah, the Brewers Association, about their IBU level for their New England IPA, because I was like, it's too high why would it why would it be like 60 ibus that's too high and the guy was like really that's fascinating and he would they would send surveys out where they would say hey can you tell us about your beer styles tell us how it's made tell us the like bitterness level the sweetness the you know the abv the color and so they would try to change it every year so it did change uh, it also changes based on the amount of entries they get as well for the Great American Beer Festival so like Although there's like Dutch style coit is in there still. So like, I mean, I don't know a brewery <laughs> that makes that style or like. A
0: but it money rides on it. So the Brewer Association, you know, winning those medals at JABF. Sure. Is, is sales. It's big mm-hmm. money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Back to your history. So okay. 9,000 years ago, settle, settling for agriculture and a yep. little bit of a grain and bread and, and beer. I like that you mentioned bre- bread and beer together. Mm-hmm. Um, but 3,000 years ago, you mentioned alcohol taxation. I yeah. love, I love what you've picked out of this history.
2: I mean, one of the first written things that they found, uh, is Sumerian beer, uh, tavern laws, you know, cuneiform tablets that say, Hey, you're allowed to charge X amount for this beer and X amount for this. And then their recipes, this is how it's made. So, you know, beer is one of the first things that's text. I mean, there's a lot of firsts in beer. I love like how the first trademark ever is the bass triangle. The first trademark ever, ever. in the world really? is the bass triangle. Uh, James,
0: you, I know you knew that. right? Oh,
3: I knew that. <laughs> and and did you know that beer was pretty much what founded statistics as we know it today? Really? Yeah, the t test was invented by by the Guinness Brewery.
0: What's the t test?
3: It's a statistical like tool that's being used. But for what? Statistics.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Number. There's some numbers.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was so long. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't even remember the t test. But oh, uh, no, this is good, good
2: thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? I mean, yeah, it's pretty interesting how beer really fuels a lot of technology, uh, refrigeration, uh, a lot of stuff like that is because of beer, uh, microbiology, yeast, you know, Pasteur wrote articles about beer, you know, I mean, it was, beer is very, very important to humanity. Uh, it's, it's fun.
0: then next on page 14, he said, I'm saying this because I only got to page 14. (laughs) Um, Beer is good for you. That's what I I took from your – he said it's a great source of nutrition.
2: Well, I mean, don't chug like a 30-pack of Budweiser. Um, That's, you know, everything in moderation. Um, Their beer has a lot of B vitamins. It was – I mean, I'm in the the context that you're bringing up is it was given to – the people who built the pyramids because it was a good source of nutrition for the Egyptian people. It's, you know, it's calories, it's fuel that you need. Um, Saison, you know, farmers working in the fields drink Saison. Actually, one of the things that I do is when I'm at Fox Farm and I'm hungry, I have a beer snack, four ounces of, you know, some kind of beer. And it's, it's a nice, like, that's, you know, it gives you some sense of, like, nutrition and and food you know you're not chugging you know as long as you're not like putting the keg tap to your mouth like beer can be really good for you a lot of runners drink it after running there's non-alcoholic beer now um that is you know
0: it's hydration actually a friend of mine a surgeon had told me years ago he said that basically you know beer does provide a lot of things like electrolytes after you've been working out or or working outdoors and he said i'm not saying it's true but he said that Gatorade, the formula for Gatorade was based on the chemistry of beer.
2: That you know, I have never heard you've before. Never heard that but
0: before, but that was a surgeon But I I'm going
2: to I'm a I like that.
0: Yeah, so if we're drinking <laughs> Gatorade, you know, we yeah. might as well drink beer. I mean, you're out, how many people are drinking beer when they're cutting the grass and I don't mean riding on the
2: the yeah, cart, but yeah. actually
0: sweating and doing yard work and
2: There's nothing like ha- doing work and like At Fox Farm, there's no air conditioning, so it gets quite hot there in the summer. So, like after you know working, I do a lot of curbside delivery, building pallets, working in the tasting room. There's nothing like an ice cold beer after working out and like doing some hard labor. There's just there's nothing.
0: James, you got a story for us about
3: that? Uh, The only thing that I have to add with with beer and quote unquote good for you is the fact that uh, beer yeast is actually high in nutrients, Mm, and it's very very uh, healthy for you, in moderation, of course. Um There are purines in the yeast, which uh, if taken too much, it'll give you gout. But
2: moderation.
0: I, I know you can't like in marketing. You know, alcohol producers can't say that, but we can say that.
2: Yeah, I we're mean, not we're not putting anything to the Tax and Trade Bureau. So, but yeah, it is illegal to say this is good for you. You know, Guinness is good for you. Like, you could never do that ad now. Um, that is hundred percent in America. That's hundred percent illegal.
0: Yeah. Another. You, you did also, of course, mention women the main brewers and bakers throughout much of history.
2: Yes. You yeah. Want to go there? Because yeah. it's true, right? I mean, a lot of, before guilds, before, you know, brewing in the Middle Ages especially is a household chore. You know, you're the men are out farming and women are, you know, making beer and they're either going to sell it if they're alewives or their trade. They can trade it uh, to neighbors for, you know, other things like food and whatnot. So it, it falls under kind of a household chore. Um, but, yeah, no, women were, I mean, in Sumerian times, uh, Egyptian times, men and women would work together. The women would bake the bread. The men would brew the beer because it was more of industrial. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's nice to see more women brewers now because after the industrial revolution. I mean, women still worked. I gave a talk about women in beer, and there, uh, Guinness employed a lot of women in their like administration they would do or like even keg washing so women were still had a place in brewing um just with porter brewing and guilds a lot of women were excluded from guild and trade union stuff like that so they got kind of pushed out that way wow
0: we're off to a great start we're talking with M. souter about her new book hooray for craft beer we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right
1: I'm Chava Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from Sustainability Managed Forests. 81A is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Badillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 tequila imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly.
0: Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio and Heritage Radio Network. It's so great being back in the studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick brooklyn and thanks to m Souter, our friend from Pints and panels the author of hooray for craft beer who requested that we do this in studio so we got our asses out here excuse me but we did and um we'll do we'll do more in studio shows this year thank you m um so Pints and panels hooray for craft beer i think if i say Pints and panels everyone everyone who listens probably knows that but um hooray for craft beer it's a cool title but it's just such a great book i i really get it when you know, you, you do your cartoons, and you know you're you're explaining beer. Um, what about the more complex? I'm gonna ask James because you know James is our advanced sister here too. Um, some of the the subjects like off flavors and dimethyl sulfide, all these things, um, they're pretty complicated, aren't they? I, I still don't quite understand them all.
3: Yeah, I mean they're 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 certainly very complicated. Um, the source troubleshooting, uh, the actual um, flavor profile that it uh, gives off, the aromatics—that's uh, that's all in there, and it's a, it's it's a great resource. It's you get to go back because there are times when I I personally I know I'll forget. Oh wait, you know what were the causes of this again? Um, and it's it's you know Pints and Panels, It's it's really good to kind of go back because em lays it out really, you know, in a great visual and, and easily accessible way, you know, and so it's it's like oh it really kind of like steps things back and. Even if I'm learning about it for the first time, because there's things that I pick up too.
0: Yeah, and then Emily, your your style's really evolved, hasn't it?
2: I I mean, to me, it still looks like I'm like seventeen. <laughs> like it doesn't feel like I've drawn more. I draw more. I draw a lot of foods now. Um, beer and food pairings are more popular. I've been doing that. Um, so I've been drawing more, but to me, I still feel like. I'm drawing like I'm 17, like in my bedroom, like doodling and stuff. So or doodling in my margins in high school. Uh, but it, it's, it's fun to see the art the way like it's, you know, I flipped through that book and I'm just, I'm just so proud of, of the response that people really like it. Um, it's, it looks nice. They did a good job. I like the paper, the way that the paper feels, it's nice, like smooth. Oh, it makes me so happy that's such a weird nerd thing to say but
0: <laughs> oh that's it's it's great it's great that you can be in the world of beer and and the world of cartooning too it's actually very uh encouraging you know that what you're doing hey so um i knew you used to work at two roads i did Connecticut, yes. mm-hmm. and now you came in today and told me about a brewery that i've been dying to hang out with tell us about your new job
2: So for the past four years, um, so when I started studying for the master full time in 2018, I met Zach Adams, um, Labor, no, excuse me, Memorial Day weekend, wrong holiday. Uh, And he opened some beers for me, super nice guy, wrote him a thank you note. I said, thank you for the beers. Got a response back that was saying, hey, do you want a job? And I we just need someone a couple days a week in the tasting room to help out, you know, do some bottling, do some canning, this and that. Uh, met with him, met with his wife Laura. They live behind the brewery, but they're now three small. They had two children at the time. Now they have three. Um, and they're just such great, down to earth. Beer makes really, babies. Yeah, really yeah. nice people. <laughs> and I, so I started working there just in their tasting room, you know, helping out where I can. And it's really enjoyable. The crowd we're we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We're in Salem, Connecticut. It's forty five minutes actually from where I live, so it's it's a little bit of a haul, but it's worth the drive. Uh, we do have a pour limit. Uh, when I worked started working there, it was two full pours, so twenty four ounces total. Uh, or now, I mean, like post- the state has a limit. No, no, we're the only brewery actually in the state that does that. Mostly because you have to drive there. And our parking lot is not very large. Keeps kind of turnover for turnover's sake. And then I don't really want where my joke is. We're a barn, not a bar. Uh, so if you want to keep drinking, there's a great pizza place called Two Brothers down the street. Uh, you can go there, and Nico, the owner, will cut you off, and he can be scary. So that's <laughs> my like. You want to keep drinking? That's fine, but you're gonna get cut off by Nico, and he's not gonna be as nice as I am. Um, he's a very large gentleman. Um, super nice uh, until you cross them. So it's a, I mean it's a really great chill vibe. Great for f- great family friendly place. Nice outdoor seating. Pre COVID we had a kids play area. Now not so much just because kids touching stuff and whatnot. Uh, we have reservations. So if you want to come, you can make a reservation with us. You get ninety minutes, and now we do three four three full pours. Um, you know it's it's a chill it's a chill vibe. You know we're not a a bustling line, you know, when you go to a brewery on a Saturday afternoon and it's like elbow to elbow. I mean, that's not what we're well, crafting you, you here. You made
0: my day. You you, you you took out of your bag. You said you had a gift from me. Mm-hmm. And it was I don't know, a little over two years ago. I was in Boston at Row 34 and, and Susie Hayes is the manager there and she had a couple of Fox Farms on draft. It was the first time I'd ever heard of Fox Farm. I love them and I've been seeing them a lot in... Like our, our buddy uh, Kevin at Casket Beer seem, is getting mm-hmm. a lot of Fox Farm as well. James, um, have you had Fox Farm before? I
3: have. Um, I think I feel the way everybody else is about the brewery. Really fantastic stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. So let's let's taste this beer and talk about it because this yeah, is sure. This is exciting. I like books, but I like books about beer. I haven't I like drinking beer. Too. I
2: haven't had this yet actually because it's only available. It just came out last week. So we have a new spontaneous program that started last year that Zach. And our brewer, Dan, have been cultivating. Dan was hired from uh, Degard Brewing in Tillamook, Oregon, big spontaneous fermentation brewery out there. Uh, he came over to help us with our program. We build a special barn just for our mixed fermentation and spontaneous program that is um, nice thick walls, thick roof, temperature controlled. Because the barn is a cinder block. <laughs> it's a cinder block barn that was built in the 1960s for some cows. So it's very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter so we were keeping our barrels in an old garage with an ac unit so now we have this beautiful new barn called the barrel we call it the barrel barn and it's just for production uh we have a cool ship so this sat in the cool ship and then was aged in Muscat barrels um i have not had it yet there's probably more information on the bottle about it um but it was released was last week in our the People have been really excited about our spontaneous program. Uh-huh. The stuff coming out of there James, is James, really you want
0: to give it a taste? Come yeah, on I grab uh... oh, it. Yeah, Thank
2: you. It smells so good.
0: Yeah, so look, advanced cicerone guide got us through how we taste. So, And I saw that in, in your book, too, at the beginning of Hooray for Craft Beer. It's like, so we're, we're in Hooray for Craft Beer. What's my intro to smelling and tasting
2: usually it would i mean i give it a look first you know is it cloudy is it i mean this is a little cloudy because we've been jostling that bottle's been jostled in my backpack for like many hours then normally you would when you get ready to taste you want to swirl it counterclockwise at a 45 like rpm like you're talking about vinyl just to kind of set your mind know you're gonna drink also build up the foam and then You can do, I mean, you can do it the whole, like, and then I usually, when we're not, you know, do like a short sniff, put your nose in there and then do a long sniff, two big sniffs. And think about what you're smelling. You know, be conscious about it. This is beer. It's important. I mean, and then you
0: start saying, well, this glass was also served in water. I, I mean, it's a... <laughs> am it's I smelling a, the beer or am I smelling the It's a jelly jar,
2: but it's fine. I love drinking out of jelly jars. I think that they're one of the best conveyances for beer. And then when you taste the beer, you'll let it warm up a little on your tongue, get the flavor. And then when you swallow, you blow out through your nose. And I agree.
0: I like the jelly jar, too. I love... Lot.
2: I'm a big jelly I jar. I like the
0: size. I don't, I don't know how many ounces this is.
2: It's usually my husband and I will share 16 ounce cans. I love 16 ounce cans for sharing. And this is usually about eight ounces or so. So it's a great splitter. Yeah. You know? Let's
0: talk about that. I, I love drinking small, you know, years ago, we talked a lot about the, you know, why American pint pint glasses, mixing glasses are not the right vessel for beer. And many people had really fancy glasses. But this is such a simple thing. It's also the, the size Mm-hmm. There's something about when you pour more than eight ounces to me. It, at the end, it's it's not the same. The temperature, whatever. I mean, James is. is am I onto something?
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and I like I, small pours. Yeah, small pours are great, and I, I think it's also correlated with the the style of beer, you know, that that you're having. And I, and I think that kind of talks about attenuation, body. Obviously, alcohol is a big part of it too. So. Drinking, certainly drinking uh, a beer that we have in our hands right now is probably not conducive to to anything bigger than, I'd say, 14 ounces, you know. Um, But there are other styles, you know, which it it, it does behoove you to have a a larger glass. So
2: Nice stein of, you know, or like a Seidel or Masquerug of Hellas, you know, liter, nothing like that, you know. That's a court, essentially, but there's something about a big pour of golden lager. That's also really nice. But when you're, you know, you're just at home, you're sharing, you're, you know, trying stuff, that's, you know, this is a great, this is a great size.
3: Yeah, agreed. It's I mean, it's also a very complex beer too. And mm, so mm-hmm. you know, like small sips and really kind of take it in. This is this is the focus of the
2: conversation in many ways.
0: Wow. What did we not talk about? I mean this this book is really cool. And um
2: there's actually in that book actually there's a not to Fox Farm in the tasting room section. I drew our tasting room and a bunch of our uh, employees, including Zach, the owner. He's wearing a baby Bjorn and little baby Nora, <laughs> who's the youngest, uh, is in it, including our yeah our brewer Al. Um, a couple other my coworkers
0: Oh um, there is a whole section on glassware too. There is, you know, I mean, really gla- t- glass chalice a stange yeah. what the hell's a stange?
2: It's the so it's the german word for stick and it's for Kolsch beers and alt beers. Timbler,
0: um, Tumbler, Tumbler, Irish tulip, snifter, thistle. That's one I didn't know people were using anymore.
2: I, I, I will say I have not seen a thistle in a really long yeah. time, but the, I just really like that glass. I think it's. I will fun.
0: say one of my favorites. I used to get through Be United was the, the Willie Becker. Mm-hmm. What's that? The 0. .5 liter, mm-hmm. like the German glass. It's a thinner glass.
2: It's a the so I I do a fair amount of glassware now in the Pints and Panels store, and my default glass is the Willie Becker. I yeah. love that's what we use at Fox Farm too. We have a 14 ounce, I think it's a 0. .4 liter Willie Becker, and it's just. I mean, that's just a great beer glass. I also love a mug. You know, a mug is... I have some really great vintage mugs that definitely aren't for beer, <laughs> but they're really great. Like, our, um, I have a really great... My aunt lived in Switzerland for a while when she was a kid, so she gave me all her old beer glassware, including some now-defunct Swiss lager breweries, and they're all mugs, and they're... That's a hell of a glass. Like, I love, love to drink out of this glass she gave me. I don't even, I don't even remember the name of the brewery on the glass, but it's just a, like, it's such a nice solid. Like when you get a nice mug of, of beer, that's also a really nice one, especially a golden lager, especially like seventeen ounces of so a half liter.
0: James, many years ago, we talked about beer glasses. That we did. Is there a, a favorite of yours that that stands out?
3: I mean, I love I love the dip, dip, I love the dimple mug myself. Mm. Um, I you know I, I I am I do consider myself somewhat of an anglophile at heart, and so I think the nonic pint is something that I go to a lot. Um, and I, I would argue that my favorite uh, beer style is is probably like an English mild too. Mm. So, you know, that's, Fox
2: Farm uh, makes an excellent English mild. They do, they do, yeah. and best bitter as well. Uh, and our English mild is our dark mild Tidley is on nitro can, so it. You know, there's some dark milds are hot now. You know, it's why like you've told me a few years ago that everyone's going to be talking about dark mild. I would have laughed, but I'm (laughs) into it. Mm -hmm. Super, super into it.
0: No, we're down with that little color. But for me, Willie Becker, I'll tell you that Willie Becker style glass. I'll go with that anytime. And uh, I'm just it's so great to see what you've put in this book and the process of selection. You know, there's beer slang here, too. Um, What's a mule?
2: Oh, a mule is when... We see that a lot um, at Fox Farm where someone... Well, we don't really actually need mules because we don't have any... Um, so if there's like a limit with beer. So like let's say you're at a brewery and you're only allowed to buy two bottles. You bring a friend or like a grand mule. So you bring your grandmother and they'll buy two as well. And then they'll give you I see. the two as well. Um, so you mule them kind of like a pack mule. Um, it was actually Dr. J... Uh, who works for the Brewers Association. She does a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion stuff. She's phenomenal. She was the one that suggested beer slang. And I was like, Mm. Dr. J, yes. Uh, That was a really fun uh, couple pages to do. Because there's a lot of, like, if you're not knowing, if you're just entering the beer world and you look at some of these Instagram accounts or, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff there where you're, like, what it I don't uh, this is English but I don't understand. So the slang section was important to add and I'm really glad that she mentioned that I should add it.
3: Yeah, I mean in many ways I'm an old timer and so some of these slang words I I had to look up myself to be honest with you. Yeah.
2: Very helpful.
0: James. And so I'm now I'm on the tasting room tips and tricks. So there's that illustration is of Fox Farm. That is. That's there. our
2: tasting room, yes.
0: So it's it's pretty great. I mean honestly uh, it says get chatty. It, it it's the rules of change in tap rooms, right? I mean, a long time ago it was like I remember Brooklyn brewery in the late you know early 2000s you could you had to get a token to get a certain size couldn't even buy a pint of beer um, So Fox Farm is like the new era of brewery tap rooms. It's not like going back to some other licensing what what, what is the, the the key of the Fox farm besides the beer like what's the vibe that that You know, you try to capture
2: the thing I love about tasting rooms now and Fox Farm does it really well is it has this kind of pub vibe that English tap like pubs have where it's a meeting place. You know, you're going to this place to meet friends. We have the Fox Farm Four; these four older gentlemen and they meet every Thursday and Sunday at the brewery and drink uh, Pilsner and in the winter they have a special table they sit at and in the summer they sit outside outside the barrel barn and they just chat and they're just friends and they're just meeting up and they've got a schedule and a routine and they love to come and talk. They're the nicest, sweetest gentlemen. Uh, always they were, when my book came out, they all pulled me aside and they were like, we just wanna let you know we're really proud of you. And I was like, oh my gosh, guys, that is like, they were just, they're just good people and that's the thing about the tasting room is it brings out good people, regulars, people who just want to enjoy beer. Families show up, we allow dogs outside. Uh, in Connecticut, it's a town by town. So some towns, like I live in New Britain and our local brewery, Alvarium, is allowed to have dogs in it. Uh, there's actually a Dogs of Alvarium Instagram cool. account. So all you can see all the dogs that show up. Um, in Salem, Connecticut, where uh, Fox Farm is, we're not allowed dogs inside because they treat it as a manufacturing facility. Um, but there's lots of dogs outside. You can pet. There's children running around. Uh, it's a great place for kids. You can bring non-alcoholic beverages and snacks so kids can have stuff as well. Uh, we only serve the beer that we make. We don't have a lot of breweries in Connecticut. I'll have wine or guest taps. We don't do that. Um, and it's just a really nice, chill, relaxed place where people want to come and experience a nice pastoral setting. It is quite rural. Um, people bring nice, there's a, there's a really nice regular, this guy, Sandy, it came with a buddy of his and he just brought two camping chairs and they sat under the big tree in the front and drank pilsners and had a nice conversation. And it was, I went over and I was like, this is beautiful. What you have right like, now. Let's go to the brewery. Yeah. Let's go to the brewery let's and spend like, yeah. time together. Let's hang out. Let's bring some snacks. Let's bring a lunch. Let's go to, um, there's a really great sandwich place in Salem called Salem prime cuts um They make it's also a butcher, so they make their own bacon, and it's the best bacon I've ever had in my life. And their sandwiches are unbelievable. Anything with bacon on it, and you go, you go, you get one of their sandwiches, you bring it to the brewery, get a beer, sit outside. Uh, it's it's just a really great great place. Wow. Can you
0: tell? So this is Fox Farm. What's the label on this beer?
2: So this is the Ultra Volta, and we made it in two versions. So this is the Muscat version, so it was aged in Muscat barrels, and then the other half was aged in Pinot barrels. Uh, And so it's a a goose, so it's a three-year blend aged in Muscat. So they've been making this for a while, and we've only been open for five years, so this is two years in. Um, But, yeah, it says, just as our first three-year blend of Lambic-inspired spontaneous beer was coming together, we took a receipt of a freshly emptied and uniquely character, character, characterful barrel from France, barrels from France, uh, for this encore presentation of the blend, we finished triolet. So triolet is our goose in uh, muscat casks. So so it's our goose in muscat.
0: Yeah, th- thanks for bringing that. Yeah, of course. Hey, um, do you, James or, or M? do you have a question for either or, or the other? We're going to wrap it up soon.
2: Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. I want to know if James is going to take the master again.
3: Oh, gosh. So to answer M, yeah. I, I, I do have a seat for, for the master exam. In three weeks, Chicago. I mean, sorry, not Chicago. It's typically in Chicago, but this year it's going to be in Charlotte. Uh, Sugar Creek Brewing. Our good friend, Joel Volkenbacher's. Uh, oh, yeah. Who's place. a master, Cicerone. The 19th, he's 19th master, master. Yeah.
2: He's yeah. yeah.
3: So, yeah, that's, that's my answer.
2: But that's exciting. I think you're gonna do really well. Oh, you're too
3: kind. No, you know a lot about beer. That. So you're gonna
0: read the hooray for craft beer, get some pointers.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. Exactly.
2: I don't know. I failed the master twice. So you know, who yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna re-
0: talk more about that because yeah. that seems to be
2: It's a. T- I mean, it's a really tough exam. Like I, I helped Shane McNamara, who's the twentieth, uh, he passed last year. I helped him with so some stuff. Hold style. your
0: thumb to the, the yeah. candle flame and if you can do it long enough, you get to be the master Cicerone, right? I
2: mean, you, it's no. I mean, you, there are a lot of people who take it again and again and again and don't pass. I mean, you really that was have a Richard to. Richard Nixon? Oh, okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> 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 I was born in nineteen eighty three, yeah. so you're. Uh... <laughs>
0: well, all right. You guys are. Jan's. Any last question for Emma about her book or? Um, panels,
3: I might be just jumping the gun, but book number three—you know—what should we be expecting?
2: It, I, you, you know, there's some some things are out there. We'll see if anybody, you know, takes a chomp at it. I'd love to do a travel book. Um, really, really would love to do some illustrated. I've been drawing um, some of my favorite beer bars. I just posted blind. I did an art uh, drawing of Blind Tiger Ale House. Um, for my Instagram and immediately got an email from them being like how do we put this in our and they bought a 20 they put up they bought up the poster size version and it's going to go in the blind tiger and that's wow yeah, when oh, wait, I, yeah. what
0: size do you draw in
2: uh so and you sell
0: c- copies of it or originals? yeah no no
2: it's all copies because a lot of it is so everything is hand-drawn uh, pen and ink on eight and a half by 11 B paper. So I like this American kind of actually very cheap paper, but I like the way that it uh, feels. Uh, and then I scan it into Photoshop and all the digital cleanup and coloring is done um, in Photoshop. And so most things are sold in eight by 10, 11 by 14 prints on archival matte paper, really nice paper and then I also do poster size on glossy poster paper, 16 by 20 and 18 by 24. I do cards as well, but it depends on if I'm doing infographics, if it's too small, you're going to lose the, the definition of it. So sometimes I yeah, usually but
0: if you start doing more beer bars. Yeah. Then you might. People might be able to buy those. At mm-hmm. the- yeah,
2: and if you're yeah. ever like, "Hey, I want it in this custom size," I can size it for you, no problem. And then we can do custom sizes. That's easy. So. I, gu-
3: I guarantee there are a lot of listeners out there that just got <laughs> really excited with that oh, prospect. Oh yeah, really. maybe I want yeah. a blind tiger print. I'd love one. The, yeah, yeah, the
2: blind. Yeah, you have got blind tiger. I just drew like pro love pro- pro- proletariat uh, in these Village. I drew Good Beer, which I think is like underrated Please you want to drink, if you want to yep. drink by yourself, <laughs> yeah. and not be bothered. <laughs> You yes, go to indeed. good and i mean that in a very good way david um,
0: Goodbeer, east 9th street yeah mm-hmm. i
2: love that place i had a really good friend who was a wine guy who used to live in new york city uh jameson fink who introduced me to good beer because that's where he'd go to like i need to get away and he would go drink a good beer and i was like that's a great place to just like be quiet and thoughtful about you know beer. They,
0: they they can't use their outdoor space so the backyard they grow hops
2: Oh, I th- actually think because of COVID, they can use their outdoor space. Oh, maybe now because no. I just drew wow. their outdoor space um, for a book proposal I was doing that I actually loved so much that I turned it into a print because it looked so. It was just looked so pastoral and pleasant. I was like, this is not the East Village. It's beautiful. It's really nice. So, and what's your website? Pints and Panels dot com, nice. and then social media all at Pints and Panels. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter, you'll usually see me rant about uh, the Red Sox. So, uh, in relation to beer, or not in relation to beer, um, but in addition to beer, that is. Well,
0: em, thanks so much. Thanks to your team at Brewers Publishing for uh, connecting us. And thanks for dragging us back into the studio. I know. Right I'm man? excited. I won't have... There are some shows that are recording here. So, we're going to do more in studio this year. Wonderful. And at one point we'll be back with it. And, James, Ty, thank you so much, man, for, for coming in. Letting in your expertise and your gravitas, thank, my
3: friend. Thanks for letting me be here. Oh, yeah. It was a pleasure. And
0: big shout-out to our producing intern, Alex Tran, and our engineer today, Liam. Sorry, Liam, I don't know your last name. So thank you so much <laughs> for joining us on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.